Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Mirror, mirror on the wall. That's it. Who's the fairest of We all know the rhyme. We all know the, we all know the story, don't we? Snow White, seven dwarves. The evil queen looks into the mirror and asks the question, and what happens when she doesn't hear what she wants to hear? She gets angry. And that anger takes hold of her, the inner core of her being, and she's determined that there is only one solution out there, and that is to destroy the competition. Oh my gosh. How often do we look in a mirror and not like what we see back? Because the mirror never lies. It doesn't. It can't. It reflects what it sees. The Bible is the mirror, and it does not lie, and it tells us what we do not want to hear. How do we respond to it? That's the question. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the book of James. We're going to finish up the first chapter this morning. I'll be reading for you verses 19 uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 27. And you'll remember I told you when we started out that, uh, that James is a sort of a midterm exam for Christians. It's an opportunity for us to really examine our lives, to examine our faith while looking into the perfect mirror of God's Word and figure out how we're doing, recognizing that this is not the final exam. That comes when we see Jesus face to face. And, and everyone, uh, not everyone, but there are a lot of people that are talking about the second coming and, and when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And, and there are people that are excited for that to happen. And I know that there are people on the mission field that, that don't want it to happen yet because so many people are coming to faith these days. I mean, the numbers are staggering. We don't, we don't hear that news because, you know, it doesn't make the headlines. But the reality is Christ's second coming is only as far away as our own mortality. It's a sobering thought. That's when we undergo the final exam. But these are midterms. So let's take a step back and say, okay, well, how well are we doing? And, uh, and James encourages us uh, to consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials and tribulations, not because of the trials and the tribulations, but because of the fact that the trials and the tribulations are instruments that God is using to form, shape, and mature our faith. So consider it pure joy James is making an assumption that all of his readers are followers of Christ who desire a deeper walk of faith, who desire to grow and mature in their faith. 
So consider that pure joy if you are growing in your faith. Temptations come, but every good and perfect gift comes from God. We talked about the white elephant gift. The white elephant gift that ultimately the origin of that gift from the king, you got a white elephant. It was a sacred animal. It couldn't work, and it would put you into financial ruin. You, could, you had to take care of that gift from the king. You didn't want to slight the king. Sometimes white elephant gifts come into our lives. If we're not careful, they can destroy us. To make sure that we're looking at the good and perfect gifts that come from God that are designed to shape us and move us down that journey so that we can become more mature in our faith. We pick up the narrative in the 19th in the 19th. Uh, uh, verse here, my brothers, my sisters, take note of this. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For one's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like one who looks at their face in a mirror, and after looking, goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he or she has heard, but doing it, he and she will be blessed in what they do. If anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on the tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Ouch. They can be uncomfortable words to hear, but so important words for us to unpack this morning. Everyone, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For one's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What is it? about anger that so grips us. Someone once said, yeah, but there is righteous anger out there. I mean, look what Jesus did when he, when he turned over the, the tables in the temple. Yeah, that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. The most, most of the time, I would say that, at least for myself, my anger is not righteous anger. What is anger? Some have said that anger is a secondary emotion. 
So if we understand that it's a secondary emotion, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves when we find ourselves in the grip of anger, why it is that we are angry. When we look at God's word and we're reading it and we say, well, you know what, uh, uh, you know, you've gone, you've gone from preaching to meddling here, Lord. I don't like what I read there, so I'm going to set it aside for a minute. What makes us angry? I would say that probably 95% of the time, the anger comes from four things. Four things. We're angry when our expectations remain unmet. We get angry when our goals are blocked. We become angry when we perceive a loss of control. And I think we are angry when we are afraid. How important is it for us to be able to step back and ask ourselves, when we find or when we feel that anger rising up within us, to understand what is driving that anger. Now, unmet expectations, that's, the, I mean, we could spend the whole morning just talking about that because expectations are funny things because we don't always speak our expectations and our expe expectations are not always realistic. And there is nothing more dangerous than to walk around in a relationship with someone with an unspoken, unrealistic expectation. You're just asking for trouble. It's like a landmine. And we all have them. We all have them. You know, the, what the, in the modern vernacular, it's, oh, he or she really knows how to push my buttons. No. They know where your unspoken expectations are. They've spent enough time in your life to know where your landmines are. And when they want to get you, they just go and they trip that little landmine and then stand back and... <laughs> now, the reality is that you can sometimes just accidentally stumble onto somebody's landmine. And, and when that happens, it's so important to kind of take a step back and say, okay, what just happened? What was my expectation there? And was it realistic? You're in my way. I have a goal that I set for myself, and I'm not getting there, and I think that you're the one that's stopping me. Urgh. Identify what that goal is. And then ask if that is a roadblock or if it's a guardrail. Hmm. Sometimes what we perceive to be our roadblocks to our goals are actually guardrails that keep us from going over the side of the cliff. I remember being down in, uh, uh, in Ecuador, and when we took that road down to, down to Shell Mira, we're on this, this, this mountain road that uh, uh, was not paved, and the, the, the government spent a lot of money to have a, a Chilean company come in and pave the roads, and they dug them all up, and then they ran out of money went bankrupt. The roads were treacherous, and there was no guardrail. And, and I remember, some of you remember Hal and Nell Moody? They were on that trip, and I remember Hal saying, looking over the, I didn't sign up for this trip. <laughs> but we made it there and back. Guardrails, maybe not roadblocks. 
But the other two, loss of control, you know what? I think that we are most out of control when we think we are in control. We have no control. The only one who has control is God in his sovereignty. And there is nothing in all of life over which God cannot legitimately claim mine. So you know that phrase, let go and let God? For years I used to say, what in the world is that talking about? Let go and let God. Let go of my expectations and trust that God has my back. Let go of my expectations and trust that God has my back. Because God is in control, I'm certainly not. Because if I were in control, the world would be a whole lot worse off. Hmm? But I think all of that can be bound up in that last category of fear. And fear is a cover for our own insecurities. And when my insecurities are revealed, just like the evil queen, when she looks in the mirror and asks the question, when I ask the question and I don't like what I see back, fear grips my soul, I become very insecure and think that I am no longer worth loving. The reality is I don't think I'm very lovable anyway. Uh, so how could it, And if I don't think that about myself... Uh, then how could I possibly think that God could love me? But he does. What do you do when anger shows itself in your life? I think for too many people, what happens when anger comes up in our lives is inappropriate speech. We start getting angry at people. And when you start getting angry at people, regardless of what the issue is, you lose the moral high ground. Imagine this. Anybody here ever been pulled over by a police officer? Okay, we got a few honest folk here. I... Can you imagine? Can you imagine being pulled over by a police officer? Now, you know you, know you were speeding. You know it. But the police officer... You're looking in your rearview mirror, and the police officer gets out of the car and slams the door and stomps up to the car and starts yelling at you. What do you think you're doing? You're speeding. Give me your drive. And you're like, whoa, 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 get a grip. That becomes the story. His anger totally deflects from the fact that you were pulled over for a legitimate reason. You don't go home and tell people that you got a speeding ticket. You go home and you tell them about the cop that was out of control. And that's what happens when anger takes hold of our lives. We find ourselves saying things that we shouldn't be saying. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For one's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. But it begins with honesty, folks. It begins with honesty. And if we cannot be honest with ourselves, we're never going to be honest with other people. And it's God's word that helps us to keep honest with ourselves. One's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And the evil is so prevalent in the world today. 
And people are no longer quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. They're quick to become angry, and they're quick to speak, and nobody is listening to what anybody else has to say. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to recapture this imperative. Because when we speak out of anger, almost every time it's going to be inappropriate. And in a, in a, in a, in a desperate effort, effort to justify ourselves, we fail to take responsibility for the issues in our lives and we blame others. And we create a victimhood mentality. Poor me. This is, this is happening to me because of you. No, it's happening because I'm not being honest with myself and I'm not listening. I'm not listening. So we have, we have inappropriate speech. We have, we have increased anger. We have increased immorality that results from a decrease in biblical values. And we have a decrease in biblical values because too few people who call themselves followers of Jesus realize that this is a mirror that shows us the depths of our souls. Because we don't like what we see. You don't like what you see, you stop looking. James says, don't stop looking. But do start listening to people. Because when you listen to people, sometimes you can help them to diffuse the anger and begin to listen and understand what the issues are. There are issues. I'm not denying that there are issues. We all have issues. I have subscriptions to issues. <laughs> but we don't solve the issues by getting angry. We don't solve the issues by not listening to people. We solve issues by delving into God's Word. It speaks truth into our lives, which alone can save us. Do not, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. I, I, I struck by that in, 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 in the gospel according to Luke. Jesus asks his disciples that very question. Why do you guys call me Lord and then not do what I say? I don't get it. We cannot afford to be mere hearers of the word. We must be doers of the word as well. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not like uh, what it says is like one who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking goes away and immediately forgets what he looks at because I don't want to know what I look like. You know, we get up in the morning. What do we do? We go into the, we go, we look in the mirror, you know, before we come out. We want to, want to make sure all hair's in place, you know, got no smudges on my glasses, my tie's nice and straight. The mirror tells me exactly what I look like. And if I see that I've got dirt on my face, I need to wash it off. And that's what the Word of God does for us. It shows us the dirty spots in our lives. And the dirty spots are in all of our lives. The one who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this will not forget what they have heard, but doing it 
will be blessed in what they do. That perfect law of God's freedom. That is the moral law of God. You want to talk Ten Commandments? Let's talk Ten Commandments. There is a moral framework that God gives us in which we find abundant life. And when we live according to those principles, we thrive. That's by God's design. Now, the reality is, is it's hard to stay, it's hard to stay in, that, in that circle, which is why Paul tells us to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Think about that. A living sacrifice takes effort. Prior to, prior to that idea, a sacrifice was a dead animal. You take a dead animal and you put it on the altar, and where's it going to go? Nowhere. It's dead. But you put a living sacrifice on a, on a table, and you're going to spend a lot of time going around that table to corral it to make sure it stays there because it wants to crawl off. And that's what we want to do. We want to crawl off of God's word. Because we want what we want when we want it. It's that perfect law. When we find ourselves in that sweet spot that we experience that abundant life, that crown of life that we talked about last week. And when we find ourselves outside of that, we fall, we pick ourselves up. We, we live lives, we live lives of uh, that, that are defined by biblical values punctuated with grace. When we find ourselves outside of God's moral order, we pick ourselves up. We acknowledge what we've done. We are forgiven. But we're not forgiven to dwell outside of that paradigm. We crawl back in by God's grace. We are always welcome back in. And it's within that framework that we begin to understand that this perfect law gives freedom for abundant life with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And if anyone considers themselves religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on the tongue, it's where it starts, folks, because the tongue reveals what's in the heart. There was another parable, another story that Jesus said. Don't you guys know that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person? You need an anatomy lesson here. It's what comes out because what comes out of the mouth reflects what's in the heart. And when we're hiding from the, tooth, from the truth, we're angry. And when anger takes over, our speech becomes inappropriate. And when our speech becomes inappropriate, we're looking for other people to blame so that we don't have to take responsibility for our own choices. And when we do that, we perpetuate the immorality that is thriving around us. If anyone considers him or herself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on the tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after the, the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unpolluted by the world. Religion is an outward expression of what you believe. Religion is an outward expression 
of what you believe, both in the sanctuary and outside the sanctuary. Do not be mere hearers of the word, but do what it says. Now, the reality is we cannot do what it says unless we know what it says. So the challenge for us in this day and age is to increase biblical literacy. People say, oh, we need to return to family values. I know a lot of families out there that have values that I wouldn't want to emulate. It's not family values that we want to return to. It's biblical values that we want to return to. And the only way that we're going to understand what those biblical values are is to take time looking into the biblical, I mean the Bible. (laughs) Because that's the mirror. And it's going to tell us. It's going to show us the areas in our lives that need shaping, that need restoration, that need transformation. The redemption piece is done. We have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's ours. We didn't have to work for that. That was a gift. But what do we do with that gift? How do we say thank you to God? We say thank you to God by becoming slaves, not of sin, but of righteousness. James identifies himself as a slave, one who is obedient, one who is is loyal, and one who is humble. Transformation follows obedience. Achi knows this. This, You've got to come and listen to the stuff that they're doing. Uh, They sit down with people and they study the Bible. These are people that aren't Christians. They're not followers of Jesus. They're just in the Word, and they're they're studying it. And as they study the passages, it, it comes across something that says, well, you should do this. Go out and do it. We'll talk about it next week. They come back the next week, and before they go on to the next session... Uh, they talk, well, how did, it, how, did it, how did it work for you this week? Did, 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 did you actually do the, the things we talked about last week? Because it is in the doing that the transforming comes about. Hmm? And eventually, as people get into the Word and they begin to be honest with themselves and see themselves for who God created them to be, they become transformed. The redemption is done. It's the restoration part, the transformation part that requires some effort on our part. And the way that we are going to do our part is to be biblically literate people, to be hearers of the word. And then once we hear the word, then to actually do the word. And that doesn't mean that we become the moral police and start up a crusade against all the filth that's out there. No, we got to first deal with all the filth that's in here, in our own lives. It's the transformed life that really can make a statement to the world out there. So if we want to fight out there, then let's do the work in here so that we can accurately reflect the love of God. 
And you know what? When we do that, we're going to find that there's going to be less anger in our lives. And when we find that there's less anger in our lives, our words aren't going to be as salty. And my hope is, is that we begin to understand the things that raise the anger up within us that we'll be able to measure our speech a little bit better and we'll become better listeners. We don't listen very well. There are people who are hurting out there, people who hurt, hurt other people. And there's a lot of anger in the world today. We know that. There's a lot of anger. And there's a, there's a lot of this victim mentality. It's, it's, it's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. But when we begin to take responsibility for ourselves and really listen to what other people are saying, then the Holy Spirit has room to work in both of our lives. And maybe then we can have a real conversation. And maybe then we can really get to the root of the issues and then come up with solutions that are helpful and beneficial for all. When we do that, I believe that we will see a decline in the immorality of our world as our own biblical knowledge and literacy goes up to be hearers and doers of the word who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The mirror is not on the wall. It's in your hands. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Nope. Mirror, mirror in my hand. The challenge for us is to look intently into the Word of God. Let it be the external authority in our lives. Because if it is not then the culture around us will be the external authority in our lives. But it is the external authority of God's word that allows us to look inwardly so that we can yield to the internal authority in our lives, which is the Holy Spirit and not my own selfish desires. Priorities, people. Be hearers of the word, but not merely hearers. Be doers of the word. Look into that mirror, which is God's word, in your hands. And you will honor your Lord and Savior. You will experience abundant life. And we will live in the kingdom of God here and now.